Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to The Short Term Show. We have today Miss Reagan Natho. She manages her rentals while living full-time in an RV. Reagan, welcome to the show. Hey, Avery. Hey, how's it going? It's good. Yeah, I've known Reagan for several years now, and it has always impressed me how she is able to do everything from the road. So today we're going to hear a little bit about that. But first, Reagan, do you want to just like tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, what you were doing before real estate and how you kind of got into it? Sure. And um, I worked in um, the corporate world for a um, big oil field company and um, loved doing that, worked in the finance part of it. And um but after my son was a year old, my husband worked away a lot and it was just hard being apart. So we decided to just rent out our house in Texas and pack everybody up in a big RV and just hit the road. And um, so that's what we've been doing since 2018. We, uh, my son's now four and then we have a one-year-old little girl. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> I have a hard enough time with two little kids yes. not in an RV, so I have um, the utmost respect for you for handling that in an RV. It's a full. big RV, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely the walls start to start closing in on you pretty quickly. <laughs> and the toys, like it's always, you know, uh, you would think keeping a small space clean would be easy, but everything's just concentrated, so it's just, you know, it's just always <laughs> It's deeper. It's a deeper uh, pile of toys. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. You have to wade through it sometimes. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So tell me what got you interested in real estate investing? So, you know, kind of like the old adage, you know, idle mind is the devil's playground. Like um, I had used, you know, I was used to being mentally stimulated in my um, job and not that taking care of kids is not mentally stimulating, but I just needed something outside of that and um, that I could do from the road. And so I, um, I, I've always been interested in real estate and I just stumbled upon bigger pockets um, and that they have a great, you know, as you know, big forum of different, um, you know, things that people come, you know, you know, the forum that has all the different real estate categories and everything. Anyway, so I just stumbled upon um, the sh short term rental ones. And I was like, Hey, that sounds, I, I can do that from the road. I don't have to have a property manager somewhere and um, have tenants. I have to you know, check in on, um, you know, physically. And, and then I found you and Luke on there and I was like, Oh, these people sound amazing. So anywho, so I think um, I looked at my dates. I joined bigger pockets, February of 2019. And we closed on our first STR, um, April of 2019. So it took me two months to for us to, we made two offers. I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you don't remember. You I do. Yeah, offers, I remember. But anyhow, so we made two offers. The first one, like the deck was pretty much falling off the house and um, the metal manor Winslet way um, popped up, I think one night at like 10 o'clock and I texted you and I was like, what do you think of this one? And you were like, oh, it's back on the market. Like, yes. And so we put the offer in that night and then the rest is history. So <laughs> There are a couple specific things about that property that I want to talk about oh, a little bit later in the show. 
Yeah. <laughs> She's, uh, that was a cool one. Um, I know. But first, uh, let's say, tell me why you chose short-term instead of long-term. So what made you say when you're looking in those forums, oh, short-term, I want to do that rather than going to like the apartment building section? So I'm a bit of a control freak anyway. So I liked the idea of being able to manage most of it myself and be, you know, um, in charge of it, I guess. I didn't want to just have something that we bought and it just sat with a property manager and I never knew really what was going on. I just got to check every month. That's, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted something that I can participate in the management of. And, um, and that's why I just, and the money. I mean, <laughs> I, I'd much rather make more money than uh, with an STR than with an LTR. So that's what it is. Totally. So how much did you pay for that first property? 275. 275. And that was a three, two or three, three. Yes. It was a, yeah, it was three two. Um, actually, it had two true bedrooms and a loft, and um, with two bathrooms. So we, I think, yeah, it was a three two. But cool. And what did you make on that one in a year, roughly? So I was grossing about seventy five thousand then. Um, probably, I mean, it would be more now. Um, yeah, but I did about seventy five thousand the first year that I had it. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I really loved that property. Um, so <laughs> how are you financing your deals? So we did a um, 10% down second home loan with that one. Gotcha. And I just had savings um, that we had had um, from, you know, just our, our previous life or whatever. So it's so used for my down payment. So there was one particular thing about that property that and it can be, there are things about lots of different properties, lots of different locations, lots of different markets that can scare investors away that they don't want to buy a property like this. Your property was on the steepest road I have ever been up. It is so steep that I felt like when I was going up it in my, in my Jeep Wrangler with the top off, I thought I was going to fall out the roof. It's like going like when they pull you like on a roller coaster at something and they like yes, drop you exactly. down, that's what it feels like. When they're calling up. Yes. You're like in the back of your seat or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And the left side of the road where if you're headed up, the left side of the road is complete drop off, no guardrail. And you turn into the cabins on the right. Actually, my husband and I went to look at something up there years ago when we first started buying in the Smokies and, um, he stopped the car. He had a panic attack full on, stopped the truck, made me get out and walk the rest of the way. And he said, I am not backing this thing down. I'm parking it. I'm walking down to the bottom. A helicopter can come get this car. I will buy a new one when we get to the bottom. I'm not doing, I'm not going one inch further. So that's how scary this road is. So a lot of investors are like, oh no, I don't want to buy on a steep road. If you're buying in a mountain market there, you know, there's insert feature here of every market that people are like, oh, I don't want one like that. But you were really successful. The thing about oh, very, mountain yeah. markets too, yeah, if it's, if it's really steep, a lot of times I tell people you, you have to go up. If you want to view, you have to go up. Mm -hmm. So how did you handle, how did you let us know ahead of time, hey, this is steep. Like what was your process for getting upstream of that steep, scary road? Well, I think like I had it like in the whole listing of my house like four different times. Like this house is up a steep road, y'all. Like I'm not joking. Like it's really steep, like capital letters, S-T-E-E-P, steep. And then um, I don't, um, Airbnb, I don't think VRBO has it, but um, on Airbnb, they have like a little message that pops up to a guest that they have to like acknowledge that they read before they can complete their booking. And that was like 
like last chance to back out now y'all this is like a steep road like you know don't bring your 1980s minivan um up this road you know not that that stops people from bringing their 1980s minivan up that road but um anyhow that's i just you know full disclosure to people i you know it is steep Right. So people don't want a bad review because the road is steep and you get upstream of that, guys, that was a really good nugget there. You get upstream of that problem or whatever problem you're having by letting them know up front, slapping them in the face with the information in several different places. The very front of the listing, capital letters, you say it 100 times. Yeah, it was like the first you, sentence. Yeah, it has to be, right? So you typically... Um, you get bad reviews when people, when guests show up and they're surprised by something that's kind of negative. But if you let them know beforehand, in your case, your property had some of the most amazing views that I've ever Beautiful seen. Yes. So yeah. yeah, people would fall in love with those views and then they read that because they look at the pictures first. So yeah. they look at the pictures, fall in love with the view and then they see, oh, it's steep. And then by then they kind of don't care. And um, so you get upstream of the bad review for the road being steep by letting them know upfront a hundred times. And even if you get a bad review, like, you know, that's an opportunity to respond and use it as a learn, you know, a teaching thing for other guests. You know, I'm not joking when I say this is steep, the four times I've said it, you know, I would respond back, even if it was a little bit blunt. Like I just wanted people to understand, like, it's not a joke, but. Yeah, we didn't hide it from you. <laughs> yeah. So did you get, did you get bad reviews often uh, on uh, the road or not? Really? Honestly, no. Um, it, it was always okay. As long as there was a rain or inclement weather, as long as you had all wheel drive or four wheel drive, you were great. But like, it just depends on the driver there because UPS delivered every day. <laughs> and if the UPS man can get up that road, um, I mean, just about anybody can get up that road, but yeah, I would definitely recommend. Yeah. I would definitely, yeah. The lady that lives at the top of that road, she, I mean, I must have ordered a lot of UPS because it would go every day. But, um, uh, but, but I would tell people, you know, make sure you have good tires. You know, don't, you know, don't have a neglected vehicle, you know, and come up here because it's, it's def truly, you know, a steep mountain road. I think it's actually an illegal grade. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And that's why it's not maintained by the county because it's an illegal grade. And we measured it in my truck. I think it's like 17 degrees. Anyhow. Oh. And that's like another note. That. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. But so we, since we're full-time RVers, our vehicle is a Ford Dually, you know, F-350. And so you would think that that truck would be easy to get up that road. It's not. Like, it was, anyhow, it, if I can make it up in that big old truck, anybody can make it up. Mm, that gives me anxiety to kind of think about trying to get up <laughs> yeah. as wide as a Dually is oh, up yeah. that road. I would have to back into the driveway. <laughs> so guys, you can be successful on a steep road, or if there's something that is particular to the market that you're buying in, that might not be ideal, but is still kind of a normal thing. You can totally get around that and still do well. So she sacrificed the road uh, drama for, you know, How having a really, really nice view. Absolutely. Cool. So you are now working on a new construction and I want to dispel some myths about new construction for the people who are listening, because a lot of people make a lot of um, wrong assumptions about new construction, like, oh, it's going to be so easy. Oh, it's going to be so perfect. So talk a little bit about, to give me the whole rundown, the, the whole picture of the new construction that you're doing, the 1031. Sure. 
mishap, all of it. Let's talk about the whole thing. So we were ready to grow and um, I, you know, we were saving, you know, ready for the next house, but I just didn't have enough to grow as quickly as I wanted to. And I knew that the old house was worth quite a bit more already, even in 2020 today, it's even worth more. But um, so I talked to you and we decided, you know, let's go ahead and get this thing listed. And we sold it for a six figure profit and like a year and a half after we purchased it. And so we planned upon doing a 1031, reached out to the amazing Dave Foster, got the ball rolling on that, and then um, ended up working with one of your other agents, Julie McCoy, and found this new construction in, um, Ch- in Chalet Village. Um, much bigger house than um, the, for the first house that we purchased with, um, you know, more luxury features, I guess. And so went under contract on that house. Um, and then it was just everything that kind of could go wrong with the uh, build process went wrong. So I think they had some permit delays and getting things done. Um, and then the snowpocalypse of December, um, that the rare blizzard that they experienced, I think kind of just delayed some of the construction. And then, of course, the supply chain issues um, with the world we live in today um, has kind of postponed a bunch of uh, or put things off that uh slow down the process of the bill. So um, obviously we did not meet our 1031 deadline. So we ended up having to pay the taxes on our um, the profit that we made off of the original house, but um, which is fine. But uh, anywho, so we're currently at 388 days under contract, but we're set to close next Thursday. And um, so the house is probably worth about double than what we're paying for it. So that's the icing on the cake with that. So there's, there's a few things to unpack about what you just said. So 1031s, it is very, very tricky when using a 1031 exchange to 1031 into a property that is not fully built. You can totally meet that 45-day deadline to get under contract, but you are not in control of when it gets finished. So you may not, even if the builder tells you, yeah, we can totally have it done in six months, yeah. which is your 180-day timeline to close, it may not happen. And um, so in that, in your case, that did happen and you did end up having to pay the taxes on your previous one, which sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. We had, um, we had Dave Foster on uh, like probably 10 episodes ago now. Uh, he's awesome. He is like so, the king of 1030. So easy to work with. Like he, um, anyhow, like, yeah, yeah. He's such a joy to work with. If you're, if you're considering doing a 1031 or just have questions, you know, he's so like, if it can be done, he's done it, you know? So mm-hmm. there is no one else. It's, yeah. it's just Dave. So a few other things. So I deal with a lot of new constructions too, um, representing the developer side and, it can be really tough because I mean, I'm the things that I'm telling the buyers are the exact same things that I'm hearing. So when I'm told, Oh yeah, you know, we can be done by this time. I will let them know, Hey, this is when they're supposed to be finished. But just so you know, new constructions never ever finish on time, no matter what anybody says. So don't make hard plans until we're about, you know, 30 to 60 days out from it being actually finished because things can get held up. People think that, oh, uh, I'm this, it's pre-construction. It's a lot right now. Um, I'm going to put a contract on it and they're going to start moving dirt tomorrow. And that's not really the case. There's a lot of permitting that has to go on, a lot of approvals from the county. And depending on how many other people are building, it can be backed up. Um, The county can say, no, you have to change a few things about the plans or the engineering. And if they say that, it's not just a quick, like, let me mark this out and 
and change it, it's, it has to go back to the engineer or back to the architect, which can then, you know, take several weeks. So things can get really delayed. Another big one is the infrastructure. So if, if it's a, a big development that they're having to put in roads, they're having to put in, um, you know, plumbing, set it up for plumbing, set it up for electrical, that stuff can take several months right out of the, like right out of the gate before they ever start actually building. So just understand that if you're going under contract on a pre-construction is it's not just the time to build the structure. A lot of the site planning has to be finished first too. So it can be several months after you get under contract before anything starts moving around. So, you know, if you're driving by, you know, checking up, just know it's not that the developers are like doing anything weird or being lazy. A lot of times they're just waiting for permits to come in before they can get started. So there's a lot of things that can hold up new construction. And, but the good, the good part about it is, especially the way the market is now, if you're getting under contract on a pre-construction and it's going to be, you know, six months to a year before it's finished, you're going to have quite a bit of appreciation. Like Reagan just said, uh, you're going to have a lot of appreciation. You're getting basically under contract at today's prices, but when you close, it'll be worth tomorrow's prices. So there's a lot of appreciation there, which is really, really helpful. Yeah. We're hoping Um, to tap into that and um, get roll on the next one. So. Oh, awesome. Are you going to do like a cash out refi or a HELOC? I talked to PenFed about a HELOC. So I'm just trying to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Just trying to get past Thursday, uh, next Thursday, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I think so. PenFed, as far as HELOCs on financed investment properties, they are the only ones that will do it. And there's a limit on how many finance properties you're allowed to own. But those of you looking to do, is it under three? I think three. Yeah, you only have three um, investment properties. Okay, yeah. So they're like the only nationwide one that I know of that will do a HELOC on a finance investment property. I actually did one a long, long time ago. It's a super clunky process with them, but it did get done. I ended up never using it. Uh, and sold, ten, sold that property in 1031, exchanged it. But uh, if you guys are looking for somebody to do a HELOC on a um, an investment property, that's all I found. But feel free to shoot us an email if you guys have other recommendations, because I'm sure all of our listeners would like to know who it is, <laughs> if we can find one. Um, so let's move on. Let's go back to the RV thing. So a lot of people tell me like, oh, I have this job, so I can't do it. Or, oh, I do this, so I can't manage myself. Tell me how your experience of managing yourself has been, uh, you know, because I know you're moving around a lot. You may not have service. You may be driving. How's it been for you? So, I mean, it's honestly super easy. Um, it takes up very little of your time, I think. Like, maybe five, like, it's hard to put a number on it. Maybe five to ten minutes in the morning, you know, check in. Make sure every, you know, all of your systems are working correctly, and you don't um, have any messages you missed or anything like that that you need to respond to. And um, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. You know, as long as you have a internet access, you know, you're good to go. Um, you know, these days our phones are hotspots, or you know, so you pretty much have Wi-Fi or wherever you are in the world. You know, so it's, I mean, it's been really easy to be honest. Do you set any type of business hours? Because I know, and maybe you guys plan differently than us, but uh, when we go on motorhome trips, I'll, sometimes the the um, the sites that we're at don't really have good or real internet. 
So have you run into that problem at all or do you have to do any kind of- So I don't ever, yeah, rely on their Wi-Fi. I have my own little hotspot that I use because RV, yeah, RV internet is definitely hit or miss. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not, yeah. So I just Mm -hmm. make sure that we have our our Wi-Fi, so- Awesome. Oh, so I have another question that I, I just thought about. So if you're living in an RV, which means you don't own your primary home or your primary home is not real estate, um, okay. are you still able to get a 10% down second home loan in that yes. case? Yes. Yes. Because okay. I mean, we technically still have our primary because it's just a long-term rental now. Um, okay. So, but um, yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So we talked to your lender, but, um, but the lender's yes, are definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so that's fine. Awesome. So would you ever, so your primary home is a long-term rental right now. Would you ever buy another long-term or would you, yeah, do you only sure. want to stick to short-term? You would? No, I definitely, you definitely want to diversify. So um, kind of do what you and Luke have done to use the cash flow from the short-term rentals to um, roll into long-term. So goal is, is to, you know, retire my husband from having to um, work as hard as he has to. So um, hopefully we can grow as quickly as possible. <laughs> Uh, it's all about scaling for sure. Um, so when you are shopping for a short-term rental, what is it that you are looking for in the property? Anything? Specific? So, yeah, some of it's just gut feeling. I, and I'll roll through like what's been listed. And if it you know feels good to me, then I'll, you know, click on it, look through the pictures, make sure kind of in the Smokies market, you got to have a fireplace, got to have a hot tub or most people have to have a hot tub. Um, yeah. And just, um, I don't ever take the pictures that they have on there for um, like the Bible because a lot of the um, property management companies have this had those pictures taken a decade ago, I swear. And um, that is not necessarily what the home looks like. Um, so if I see something I'm interested in, I'd let Julie know and see what her thoughts are um, and just kind of take it from there. Julie rules. I we love, love Julie around here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've had her on the show too. I'm about to bring her some wine and snacks. <laughs> everything she's had to deal with on this new construction. Yeah, well, she she can handle it. She's oh like, yeah, no, I love her. Yeah, cool. So yeah, those hot tubs. I hate that we have to have them in mountain markets. Like in my beach markets, we you don't have to have yeah. a hot tub at all. But in the mountain markets, it's like you kind of have to have one. And if you think too hard about them, you get really grossed out. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> they're, we have to have them and they're out there, but I'm not getting them. No, me neither. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're coming to the end of the show. And I have three questions that I ask everyone at the end. So the first one would be, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give 20-year-old Reagan? to buy real estate now <laughs> at 20 anywho is to you know be more you know get started earlier faster quicker um don't analyze yourself to death and um never jump in there you know get on it if it feels good yeah analysis paralysis is a really really big one and that's a really hard thing to get over i know people on podcasts like me are like oh you just have to get over it and pull the trigger but yeah. you have to your brain has to become comfortable with something that it wasn't comfortable with before, which isn't necessarily just a, Oh, get over it and go kind of thing. You it's you're having to work through something to get comfortable. So analysis paralysis is really, really difficult to, to shake for sure. Yeah. 
Okay. And uh, what advice would you have for a new investor who's trying to get in the game? Like right now, if somebody brand new decided they want to buy real estate, short-term rentals or long-term rentals, whichever, what would you tell them? Oof, that's a good one. Um, I guess kind of the thing that I would, Mm -hmm. I just said that I would tell myself, um, you know, you just can't analyze things to death. You just have to go for it. Um, I know that prices are, you know, much higher, but you have to be comfortable with running your numbers. And um, that first, I guess, practice, practice, if you have to know what good is to know if, you know, you're going to get something good. So um, start running numbers and learning, um, educate yourself on, you know, what things are going to cost in your market and um, to be able to determine if, you you know, the property that you're interested in is going to cash flow. So I guess that's what I would tell somebody that's interested in getting it today is um, educate yourself on the market. I think when I bought my first house, I literally went through pages and pages of Airbnb um, listings, just learning, just reading what reviews, reading what people put in their listing, looking at pictures, um, just educating yourself on your market. People forget about that. They get so caught up in, oh, I got to look at this data and I got to do this spreadsheet and I'm running these numbers and I'm running these numbers and I'm an investor and blah, blah, blah. Like, the best education you can get is going and looking at other people's listings in the market, the enemy method we call it here. But um, even if you're not like doing any analysis, but just looking at all of the properties that are listed, I remember when we bought our first one looking on Airbnb and like, Oh, well this, this girl next to us has like green carpet. Of course, ours is going to be better than this. And, and just noticing how bad some people's pictures were and how there were misspellings in their like terrible grammar in their listings. And you really do learn the most by just looking through the inventory and seeing what's out there. Because if you don't know what's out there, then how are you going to compare what you're looking at to buy to the rest of the market? So it's not just the data and being so into yeah. the spreadsheet. So you, just there's some intangible yeah. work. Yeah, definitely some intangible work that needs to be done too and just kind of comparing. Yes. All right, so last question. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Well, so recently I read your book, um, The Short-Term and Long-Term Wealth. Um, didn't necessarily change my mindset, but what it did do is it compiled everything that I pretty much had to learn on my own or text Luke, hey, what do you think of this situation <laughs> into like a one-stop shop. So people don't, you know, realize the wealth of knowledge that they're getting there. Um, you know, I, so much of what I learned was trial and error, which I mean, you'll still have that um, even, you know, without reading your book, but um so much of what I had to, you know, sort through or ask y'all for advice on is just right there, you know, without having to reach out to anybody, you can, you know, start managing your SDR from day one with all of that information. And, um, and I had never done any of the, um, like the cash flow maintenance that you talked about. And I love, you know, I was really into that portion of the books. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to apply some of those principles um, whenever the new house is generating money. So awesome. Awesome. You know, um, I got a two star review on Amazon from, yeah. And I'll know, I mean, I'm obsessed with it because that's (laughs) what I do, but this one girl named Simone gave me a two star review because she said that I characterize guests as whiny babies that we had to step (laughs) over as investors on our, on our quest for financial freedom or something. And I was like, like, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, the all the 80 
99%, maybe 92% of guests are awesome and you just like yeah. don't ever deal with them. So it does not require a book to be written because they're great and they just move on and they say thank you and everybody's friends and happy and loves it. But it's that extra 8% that require chapters of a book. So yeah. there would be yeah, no so. book if all of them were <laughs> If it good. was all easy. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So I apologize <laughs> to any guests it's that I may have offended by characterizing you as whiny. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, that's been bothering me a lot. <laughs> My mom was like, I, who gave you a two-star? I, like, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, if any of our listeners have any questions or want to reach out to you, uh, how could they do that? Um, so you can find us on Instagram at four.nomadic.nathos um, or shoot me an email at reagan.natho at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks again so much for coming and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, no problem.